You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple. Improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today... I have a pretty interesting person, and her name is Nikki Rolston. And because I've had too many head injuries in my life, I literally, I have no concept about when or where I met Nikki. I just know I've known her for quite a while. I love her, and that she is the best yoga teacher in Australasia and probably the world. Hi, Nikki. Can you just introduce me wherever I go? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, it's a bit of hyperbole. You're probably not the best yoga teacher in the world. Um, there's probably some Indian dudes in the Himalayas who are amazing. Uh, but yeah, I'll give you Australasia. Yeah. You can have Australasia. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. You're welcome. Now, I'm here to talk to you about yoga. You know, I have a uh, you know I have an interesting history with yoga. I um, I don't like it. You're learning to like it. Uh, no, not really. I've been, I've been to, I've been to a few of your classes. I don't enjoy them. Everyone else I know loves your classes. Everyone else thinks you're brilliant. Um, but I find yoga hard and not enjoyable, and that's a problem because I know that yoga as a mental fitness tool is not only thousands of years old. It is now brilliantly researched and understood as just that, a mental fitness tool to make you happier and healthier. It's not just about putting on your stretchy pants and uh, and, and and stretching your body a little bit. But I have made a breakthrough. We talked the other day, I might have told you this, but I'm now 79 days into a daily yoga practice. Now, I do a thing called the Tibetan Rites, which are five exercises uh, done one after another in various amounts and then increments. And that can take me anywhere from five minutes to half an hour in the morning, depending on how many I do of them. But but I I am 78 or 79 days in. So I'd like you to just take a minute to be proud of me. Thank you, Nikki. I am so proud of you, Jimmy. But what I'm mostly proud of is that you acknowledge that you don't like yoga and that it's hard. And so many people would stop there and not try again because they're like, it's not for me. This is hard. I don't like it. But you've stuck with trying and now you've committed to this, which is something to be proud of. I've committed to the rest of my life, Nikki. I'm going to do it every day for the rest of my life, which is which is a big commitment. But this is something that I talk about on this podcast and in general a lot, is that we're not looking for short-term solutions. We're not looking for yoga retreats or boot camps or anything else that will um, you know magically fix us, because that's not that's not the way it works. What we're looking for is things to chip away at over the rest of our lives that keep us healthy and I think yoga 
is that for me? I need, I'm 40 years old. My body is starting to deteriorate. I mean, it's been deteriorating for a while, but I'm starting to feel the deterioration. And I know that from, from a straight physical point of view, it allows me to be more supple and have less pain. And the Tibetan rites thing I do is also has a lot of spiritual aspects to it as well, which lets me connect into that. But I did keep going. And the question is, Nikki, why, why should I have kept going? Why should I keep going? Why don't I just give up? We can learn so much through the practice of yoga or the practice of actually absolutely anything. And I think it's about the regularity of choosing to turn up for something every day and especially on those days when you don't want to. And to move your body in some way to process through how you feel physically, mentally, emotionally. As we know, like your body has been there for every thought you've ever had, every feeling, every emotion has passed through your body. And if we don't move our bodies and like shake that stuff off, it kind of sticks there and it stagnates in our tissues and we feel tight or bound or just yuck. And Why did so you start doing yoga? I started for the most superficial reasons. Like everybody starts and it doesn't matter why. So your butt looks good in tight pants. No, so I was 19 at the time and it, we're talking like late 90s and I think I read an article and one of the supermodels, probably Christy Turlington, did yoga. And so I was like, I need to do yoga. And so I took myself along to a class and it was kind of back then it was still kind of dingy and quite left field and smelt funny in the yoga studios. And everybody that went was like 20, 30 years older than me. But right from that very first class that I went to, I knew there was something in it for me. I found it physically challenging, even though I was an athlete at the time, like going slow and holding these poses for a long time. I was like shaking and like, what am I doing that's so hard? Um, and But I left that class and I felt taller and I felt lighter and I felt more like myself and I didn't even know that I hadn't been feeling like myself. And so I just knew that there was something in that for me and I heard a little voice and it was like, you're going to teach this one day. And I was kind of like, what? Like all the people are really old. Like what would I have to teach them? And that took me about another Oh, good. Maybe 10 years until I felt like. When did you hear the voice? Like walking out of that class. Yeah. And this is something that I, I talk about a lot, which is do you think that you heard that voice because you had given your brain space to breathe? Yeah, so I definitely way more clarity. Like our ego shouts at us. That's that like loud voice in there all the time in yoga. We call it like 
there's different parts of the mind. It's like that very active part of our mind that's chattering away all the time. Monkey and brain. For me, yoga does, it still does to this day, it turns down the volume on that voice so that, yeah, you can hear those soft whispers of your intuition or your, your higher guidance. And um, it still does that to me today. Like that voice doesn't go away, the loud one. It's just a, a tool to yeah, turn down the volume and not tune into it so much. And so over that last, you know, 20-odd years, you have seen yoga go from a, an Eastern practice through to a commercialized Western commodity. And I'm interested in your take on that. But from the outside, I would suggest that that's not a bad thing because it doesn't matter what gets you into yoga. It's the journey after you're in, just like some model got you into yoga um, yeah. and it led you on this journey. So could free classes at Lululemon or Les Mills for that matter. Exactly. So um, it was still very westernized even by the time I came to it at 19. That had happened, you know, a long time before, probably in like uh, the 70s and 80s, it started to become much more westernized. Um, so, but when I came to it, it was still a bit left field, especially here in New Zealand. And I could sense this wave kind of coming that was happening overseas of yoga becoming super popular. And the great thing is now, if you said yoga to kids in schools, they kind of haven't, they have an idea what it is. It's not some, like people know what it is. You said yoga to me when I was like a primary school or intermediate kid, I wouldn't have known what you were talking about really. So the great thing is that it's so much more well-known, so much more popular. With that, yes, there comes a watering down, but Yoga's been around for so many thousands of years. I don't worry about yoga. No. I almost feel like it's meeting us where we're at at this moment because for many of us, we're, you know, we're so kind of far off of our natural path that yoga's meeting us where we're at and it can help guide us back to, to clarity and away from distraction. And what place do you see yoga having in New Zealand society, for example? I would love to see yoga or mindfulness tools of yoga. It doesn't even need to be called yoga. Um, freely available to everybody in schools, regardless of wherever you live, whatever your economic standing is, I would love to see the tools and practices of yoga really widely available because I just feel like it's such a great practice and tool to help people find their way out of kind of the muck in their minds and really start to feel good in themselves physically, mentally, and emotionally. And what are the, the practical tools in, in yoga that, that allow that to happen? Yeah, so the postures, obviously, that's the kind of most well-known part of the, the practice, like moving our physical body. And all of the postures are like also energetic expressions as well. 
um, the breathing practices and tools to downregulate our nervous system and meditation. And that doesn't have to be like sitting for a long time in meditation. You know, you can start off so small just to sit and observe thoughts. Because the postures themselves are kind of a form of meditation. Yeah. So I'm a really active person and I find it so much easier um, to pay attention moment to moment what I'm do- what, while I'm doing the asana practice or the physical poses. And then I'm far more comfortable to sit quietly and still after I've moved. Someone like me, I enjoyed your yin yoga class more than the other ones yeah because if i don't know anything about yoga but but yin is the one where you stay in the poses the longest yeah so it's less physically demanding people often find it more challenging for for the mind because there's not movement so you are kind of sat with what's going on in the mind space more which some people naturally have more of an affinity to and other people are like well I don't like this practice I want to move yeah and that's why that's why I liked about it it was that it was more the the mental side of of a practice rather than because I and I liked it more because I struggled with the physical side of it Mm. you gave me like a hundred bolsters yeah and that's what I love about yoga there's so many different styles and variations that if people have gone to one class and they're like, no, don't like it, not for me, it might just be that's not the quite the right style for them. So or teacher. Or teacher, yeah, totally. And to just keep trying and going with an open mind and um, I'm pretty sure that that there'll uh, there'll be something that people will have you read to. the book The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk? I have, yes. So in his in his tool section, he talks about yoga, um, you know, quite quite a lot as a tool for uh, releasing trauma. And one of the interesting things I found while reading those chapters were that there are some positions in yoga that. Uh, were not good for trauma victims because they were too vulnerable. Have you encountered Mm. that in your actual practice? Yeah, and there are specific classes now, and they run like through ACC for trauma victims so that um, there's certain protocols around it and there's teacher trainings in it as well um, so that people can go and if that's what they're working through, know that they're in a really safe environment to be able to explore those things because yeah it's not it's and some people don't even know that they have trauma like we all Mm. have trauma in some way and so quite often there's you know there's tears released in yoga and sometimes there's you know some like panic attacks can be brought on of course as well so yeah we're pretty mindful um especially if people are aware with kind of predisposition to things. But then I guess there's the other side as well, which is the epiphanies, right? Yeah, the breakthroughs. Yeah. I I had an epiphany at yoga. Don't know if I told you this. 
but it was not at your class. Uh, it was at Fernanda's class in, in Puerto Escondido, Mexico. I went to her class and the epiphany is I, um, I was in my favorite pose, uh, Savasana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't go to yoga, that's the one where you lie on your back and you don't do anything. And I had, I had the epiphany that I'm not flexible. And, you know, that shouldn't be an epiphany to anyone that watched me do yoga. But what I realized was that my, the inflexibility in my body was mirroring the inflexibility in my personality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, I'm inflexible. And even just for my entire life, I have said the words, I am not inflexible. I'm not flexible. And one of my favorite sayings, I am the two most powerful words in the universe for what you say after creates your reality. And what's interesting is the universe doesn't understand the difference between flexible in body and flexible in mind. When you're saying I'm not flexible, you just mean in general. And I think, you know, that that had been a really sort of contributing factor to it. And that that one little piece of insight, that one little epiphany really sort of helped shape the way that I was going to move forward from there. And that came from lying on my back after an hour's worth of yoga. Done. Yeah. And like our subconscious also doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. So Mm. we can keep like doubling down on those stories and whatever, what we tell ourselves, or we can catch it like you did then in that moment of like, you know, this is what I'm telling myself and reinforcing this over and over again. And in those more deeply relaxed states, you can start to implant different thoughts and beliefs and that's what's so powerful about this practice because what you do on the mat is no different to what you do in your life. Like if you rush in the poses and you're, you know, like aggressive about doing them, you'll be like that when you're driving your car, washing your dishes, interacting with people. And it gives you this like really clear space, almost like a, the clearest mirror you've ever looked in to observe yourself and your habits and, this controlled environment to then be like, maybe I want to change that about myself or maybe that's what something that I'm willing to accept about how I am. Yeah. So basically it grants us self-awareness. Yoga is a tool that can grant us self-awareness. Yeah. Um, Your studio is uh, still in Brown Street in Ponsonby? Yeah, I've been there like eight years now. Yeah, so uh, you're a fancy Ponsonby yoga lady. And my studio is so cute and humble. Yeah. How much is it to go to one of your classes? Uh, we have like an introductory offer, which is $30 for two weeks unlimited classes so people can come and try. And then there's loads of different options um, that takes the price anywhere from $25, which is your most expensive casual drop-in, um, down to like, if you have a membership and you come lots, then you can make those individual classes as cheap as you want. Yeah. So the reason I'm leading on this is, one, uh, you're the best yoga teacher in Australasia, and so whatever you charge, I'm sure, is 100% worth it, and there's plenty of people that will, will back me up on that. But 
that is also a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. And and so one of the things that I'm on a mission to do is provide as many mental fitness tools as possible for the cheapest amount possible. Um, I was talking to Nigel Beach and we're talking about saunas and heat therapy. And I'm like, how the hell can we get saunas <laughs> and, and do a cheap version of that? Because not everyone can afford a sauna or afford to go mm. to a sauna. Um, we also talked about cold therapy which uh, is technically free because you turn your shower on cold. Uh, yeah. uh, so we talk all about that. Uh, if listeners have not listened to the Nigel Beach podcast, that's an interesting one. I guess what I'm saying here is that you know we can we can do yoga f- for essentially free, can't we? I mean, I do. Yeah. I do my five. I, like I only know I do five poses, five poses a day. And then a sixth, because I'll finish in child's pose just to just to stretch out for for, for the end. So I, I do six poses a day for free in my own home, and I can do that. You know, what what do you recommend for people uh, as useless as me or you know who are just thinking about using yoga as a mental fitness tool, can't afford it, don't really want to invest in it just yet? What 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 is their best options? There's so, there's so much online. There's so much on YouTube for absolutely free to follow. It doesn't have to be complex like you, like five poses. It's the consistency and regularity of them and committing to yourself to show up for something that's going to have a more profound effect than following some fancy practice. Um, so, yeah, YouTube, there's lots of free community yoga available as well. If you Google free yoga in, in your area, there will be, there are more in summertime because there's a lot of outdoor. Outdoor um, ones, yeah. But I do know there's definitely free yoga in, um, in Auckland and I'm sure other places as well. Um, because there is something really powerful about coming together with other people and doing the practice as yeah, well. If you, yeah, and that's what I was going to ask because, first of all, if you have a car and Google, then you could probably do a week's worth of free yoga around town going to going to all the different really ones. really low cost, you know, like doing everybody's introductory offers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's lots of ways to get low cost if that is the barrier and also a great way to try out lots of different styles and lots of different teachers. Yeah, there's also – If there is a barrier and you're really into it, there's lots of studios um, need like karma cleaners, they're called. So people that would, in exchange for classes, clean the studio. So if you did find somewhere that you really like and you're like, I really feel like I I could benefit from this in my life, there's always ways to do things. So, yeah, be creative. Um, That's great. Yeah, and so I want to ask what you touched on just before, like – you know me, I'm just a weird little loner. And so I uh, I do my practice at home by myself. No one sees me. No one knows I do it, except I talk about it on here now all the time. But, you know, what is the difference between practicing it at home by yourself and practicing it in a group? The introversion versus the extroversion as well. You know, like at home, it's a very introspective quiet, um, almost sacred 
personally sacred kind of practice and it also builds your confidence um, to then be around other people and kind of stay in your own body and space within the practice. But there's something magic that happens when people come together and breathe and move together and all get out of the, the gunk in their mind and level up to that place of more clarity and calm. Like I'm always blown away by the feeling when everybody's laying in Shavasana, the relaxation at the end, um, you know, the feeling in that environment is really amazing and blissful. And um, so, yeah, that's, I think it's also really important to practice together. Yeah, I mean, we are a social animal. And I am, like I said, I am a, um, I'm a weird little loner. I like, I just do things by myself, basically. But so do I, um, though, a lot. Sorry. So do I a lot. Yeah, but but the but there is there is a power in the social animal of coming together, and I require I require people and their energy. So technically, um, there's a, it was a great explanation of introvert versus introvert, whereas an extrovert charges themselves up off other people. Yeah. And an introvert charges themselves up whilst being alone. And so I am an extrovert. I do get my my energy from other people. I go out and I love that. But I just happen to also stay at home uh, and hang out with myself a lot. Um, so it's, a, it's this weird thing. But the the community aspect of it is another – So so no – None of these mental fitness tools live in isolation. And so yoga, you know, yoga has its, has its, has its thing, but then it's also got this community aspect, this contribution aspect, this, you know, you can even have the volunteering aspect. You can have all of these other things that I think are so, are so powerful for, for our own mental fitness. Because the classes I've been to, they don't, tend to facilitate the community that much you kind of go in you go to it and then everybody leaves do you do things as a community for the people that that come to your particular yoga yeah we're quite a small studio so we have like a real community feel a lot of people know each other or if somebody new comes in they're really welcoming and chatty and I encourage that connection because yeah we are hardwired as humans for connection and that what brings meaning and purpose to our lives and I noticed it particularly like around the lockdowns of you know that social engagement again people were kind of cautious but they know they needed it and and the yoga studio space provides that really well because you're kind of around people but you're also very much in your own zone within the practice and I've really watched as people become more comfortable and confident within their own selves how then that blossoms out into connecting with community Um, so I think Yoga studios provide a really cool space for that because it often attracts like like-minded people that are curious about who they are and they don't want to be out there, you know, necessarily at a bar on 
whatever night, like they, they want to seek some different kinds of connection. Yeah, I think I think it's also, again, what you said earlier, very important about about going around and finding the one that fits for you. Because, I mean, you know, there's Christina's fat yoga, for example. Yeah. Um, and and the people that go to that will straight up refuse to go to Les Mills yoga because yeah. they you know they don't feel comfortable there. They feel like they'll be judged there or or, or whatever. And so you know, I think I think that access point is important, and having people understand that they can they can go find somewhere for whatever it is that makes them feel yeah. comfortable. It's such a good point that you bring up because we need more diversity in our yoga teachers because yoga is for everyone and it needs to be represented by different kinds of teachers more. And I this year launched um, an equity and yoga scholarship for my teacher training because I want to help bring yoga to diverse communities throughout New Zealand but I'm not necessarily the person to go and do that. People need somebody that they can relate to and identify with um, to be leading in this. And so I was looking at this, I'm like, how do you know, I was like scratching my head for so long and like, how do I change this? And then I realized like I need to open that up and offer my education programs to people who can be uh, in those communities and part of that and already maybe seen as like um, inspirational, aspirational people to to help others kind of step forward. Yeah, and we'll take a second just to uh, to pimp out the Rolston method and your actual teacher training and you do train yoga teachers and mm. so if anyone is actually interested in becoming a teacher, they should go hit up Nikki. And uh, if anyone is of uh, diverse origin from, because when I say yoga to somebody, you know what comes to mind. Like, yeah, there, there's a there's a look that comes to mind. Um, and so. Yeah, like I'm that look, like I'm a <laughs> you are. blonde woman, like I'm not helping it but that's who I am but that's how yoga has been portrayed in the media and it's not just for women that look like me you know it's for for men of all ages it's of every diverse kind of background here's a question what I mean and like and and you you are literally uh the blonde woman with the Ponsonby studio um but (laughs) But what do you see in terms of representation from, like, the Maori and Pacific community, for example? Do they do they do yoga in the same volumes that the uh, New Zealand European community do it? In? I, no, not in the same volumes for sure. And what, why do you think that is? Do you think cost is an issue? Do you think culture is an issue? Do you think awareness is an issue? I think accessibility for one, like I'm pretty sure in pockets of Auckland, there would not be a yoga studio yet. Say in Ponsonby, there's like 20, you know? So A, accessibility, um, location and price wise. And also I would say somebody that leading these classes that people within those communities can easily identify with and feel like they won't be judged. They won't be out of place. 
um, that they'd be accepted there and thrive in that environment. Yeah, and so and that that comes back to your offering the diversity scholarships for your teacher training because I was talking on a different podcast to a guy called Dr. John McEwen, and we were talking about therapists. And mm. the number one uh, indicator of whether a therapy session or sequence of sessions will be successful is the relationship with the therapist. That's the number one marker for success, really simple. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that makes the relationship really good is if you think that the person understands where you're coming from. And the easiest way to understand where you're coming from is having been there before. And so Mm -hmm. I would suspect that the relationship between a yoga teacher and their students is very similar. You want to be with somebody who gets you who is like you or is someone who you would like to become you you know is the aspirational model for you and without the proper yoga teachers that's hard to do Mm, 100% and yeah I might be the stereotypical yoga teacher but I have hopes for a better future um and so yeah trying to see how I can be a part of creating that change and uplifting others. Absolutely. How much yoga do you think you have to do to have it make a difference? Like I've talked about the fact that I chip away at it every day, but I guess people would kind of only look at it as if they go once or twice a week. Yeah, I feel like it stays in your body for a a couple of days after and as a kind of newer person to yoga, I would say if you did it three times a week, you'd notice a consistent kind of leveling of things um, or smaller bits every day. But but once a week, for example, you don't think would make a once significant a week, difference? Once a week, you're going to feel good after the class. You know, you'll be like, oh, I'm more limber. Oh, I feel really good. You might notice that you make some better choices that day or you're a little calmer or uh, whatever, but that's going to dissipate, you know, probably the day after or the day after that. Um, so if you're doing it three times a week, you're going to be noticing, like, consistent movement forward and have those tools of regulation in in your week. I love it. So what do you think the the average person out there who's never done yoga, who's looking to looking at it as a practice, what do you think their first step should be? First step. If do you reckon like, they should do it at home first and, and try yeah, it at home? Or? I, I think a lot of people, because then you're a little bit more familiar, you know, like, a down dog what's that like do a couple of youtube clips like have a laugh at yourself you know like when you're by yourself or you invite a friend over and you know just have a bit of an experiment get a little bit more familiar with the terms and poses and positions and then yeah find either a studio in your neighborhood or a community class and just be bold and rock on up i love it Nikki Rolston, where do people go if they want to get hold of you? Uh, 
my website, therolstonmethod.com, um, and my studio is Urban Ashram. So that's urbanashram.co.nz. Lovely. You and I will talk more on this podcast in the future about specific yoga things, but that was a that was a perfect introduction for for the conversation for me and for anyone listening who is thinking about using it as a mental fitness tool. Because one of the things I talk about a lot is that we should be trying every men- mental fitness tool, and then if it doesn't work for you, fine. Stop it. But then you might come back to it again another time or maybe in the future again. Or for me, it took like 17 times. Um, but but once, you, uh, once you understand it, you can either use it or discard it. But without actually going and trying it, then you'll have no idea and you'll have you know, one less tool in the toolbox. Nikki Rolston, thank you very much for talking to us about this. Like I said, we'll get you back to talk more in depth about particular things in yoga in the future. I love you very much. I love you too. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time.